We have a very special guest with us in the studio today, a, a newly renovated studio, which is looking nicer and nicer. But our guest today graduated from Cairn in 1973. Dr. Nancy Halliday is an alumni award winner, Hall of Honor recipient, and longtime professor at both King's College and Hofstra University. Um, she has published num numerous articles and papers in her given field, and she also has a very interesting mixture uh, of life experiences some of which you will hear about today. You're listening to the Karen 10 podcast where we bring alumni back inside Karen University. So thanks for coming by, Nancy. Appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. You've had kind of a dual life, if you will, in Christian camping <laughs> and education and the sciences. Your resume uh, is, is really interesting and very, very broad. So I wondered if you could take some time uh, for anybody who's listening to just kind of talk a little bit more about yourself and those experiences and how do those two things, which maybe people wouldn't necessarily put together, how did they come together for you over these many years that you've been working in these respective areas? Sure. I'm, I'm just really thankful for the experiences that God has used to grow me and also to help me in uh, working with folks either in the Christian camping uh, fields or in uh, physical education, they, they really have been very synergistic. Um, I'm, I've been able to take things from each of them over to the other one, um, both in my teaching and also in my uh, presentations and writing. Uh, and hopefully they've benefited uh, people on uh, in both sides of uh, those two professions. Um, I, I've always loved sports, always loved being physically active. Um, and I fell in love with camp the first time that I went. As a camper. As a camper. Yes. Yeah. When I was in third grade and I just never stopped going to camp, really. Um, and never stopped doing physical uh, activities and sports. Uh, so I came to Cairn uh, not because it had a physical education major, because it didn't at the time, but because I wanted a biblical foundation for my teaching. I knew I wanted to go into physical education, but um, I wanted that biblical uh, worldview and the biblical foundation uh, for what I was doing. So, uh, you know, eventually God led me to uh, being a camp director, being on staff at a camp, being a camp director. Not so unusual for physical education majors. Uh, a lot of us and a lot of teachers work in different camps uh, for the summer, and um, not so unusual for camping people to be involved with uh, physical education folks. Uh, and now um, the physical education folks have sort of embraced a lot of what the outdoor ed uh, folks have been doing for a long time in terms of challenge and adventure education. So... Uh, those two areas have been just very uh, synergistic for me. Uh, I'm thankful to have been able to bring uh, some of what I've learned in camping uh, over to my physical education and teaching. I think um, the camping folks were a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of uh, teaching children and the importance of uh, how we treat them in the teaching process more of the affective side. That's always been important in camping, but um, I would go to physical education conferences and, and hear a lot about activities and research, but not a lot about how to really work with children. So that's something that uh, God has enabled me to bring into my own teaching uh, as a teacher educator now um, to be able to 
teach my physical education uh, candidates how to work with children and that the importance of their relationship with them is what builds a foundation uh, for learning, not their love of sports. Uh, so certainly that's, that's been a real gift. Um, I often tell my colleagues at the university where I learned my leadership skills uh, was in the camp setting, not mm. uh, in the education setting, certainly not in higher ed. Um, and so I'm thankful for the experiences that uh, God enabled me to have that uh, brought those two together. Uh, some of the similarities um, are the challenge um, of activities and the opportunity to challenge yourself uh, both in the camp environment and in the physical education environment. But again, I think the camp folks were a little bit ahead, and uh, I'm thankful for those experiences because um, the challenge there is more individual, challenging yourself and working within the community, and uh, at least at the beginning, uh, for a long time, physical education was about competition, was about being really good. And the uh, uh, folks who were not so good at physical skills sort of got left behind. And so being able to bring that perspective of the importance of the individual and the importance of helping everyone to develop their potential uh, and to build sort of a community within the class uh, that is supportive uh, of each other. Is, has been something I've tr tried to impart to my uh, teacher candidates. Yeah, that's very interesting. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and I was really eager to hear you talk about, kind of, you're, I think you're kind of uh, touching on that already, um, for your areas of instruction and thinking about you know, physical education, uh, for instance, what, what kinds of changes have there been in that field? So from your perspective as a teacher of teachers, but then maybe even in what sort of plays out on the street, because there is this, you know, depending on your age, many of us have these memories and there's been so much in pop culture about the classic, you know, gym story scenario. You got to climb the rope or, you know, for, for some of us, uh, you know, you know, pull-ups, mm -hmm. we're squeaking out six or seven, depending on body type. And the, uh, the ectomorphs are all pulling out, you know, 25 or 30 of them. Um, so have, have there been changes that you've seen over the years uh, in physical education? Sure. Uh, I think we've moved away from the model or we're trying to move away from the sort of old school model uh, of climbing the ropes or, you know, being all about how many push-ups you can do to uh, more of an emphasis on helping students to develop the skills and learn the concepts and incorporate the value of physical activity so that they can be physically active for a lifetime. So there's more of an emphasis on individual activity and wellness um, than there is on competition. Um, the activities that we will typically do in a really good physical education curriculum now will be more aimed at meeting the needs of the individual and providing uh, enough activities that everyone can find something that they can do that they can enjoy, that they can be successful at, and that they will carry into their adult lives so that uh, they will stay physically active because we know how important that is to uh, maintaining your health. And so we've gone much more in that direction. We also have gone more in the direction of being inclusive um, in the physical education environment, not just inclusion in terms of um, people with disabilities, although that has come a long way as well. Now, 
uh, most students who have disabilities are mainstreamed in classes, and we want them to be. Um, and that provides a really good learning environment both for them and for the kids uh, who don't maybe have those same kind of disabilities to be sensitized to helping others and encouraging others. So there's more of an emphasis on that now in physical education. There's less of a, I don't know if I want to say a militaristic feel, um, uh, to a more individualized approach uh, to helping everybody uh, be successful. Um, we've got more and more research on how people learn and how people learn physical skills. We know more about that now than we ever did before, and we're trying to teach in a way that's more consistent with that. I'm not sure that we always did that. Um, there's more of an emphasis on the developmental aspect and creating developmentally appropriate activities for kids. Uh, before, it was more of a one-size-fits-all, and if you didn't happen to fit, well, okay, you might get left by the wayside. But now there's more of an emphasis on uh, making activities developmentally appropriate in a way that even you may even do two or three different variations within the same class of that activity in order to make it accessible to all of the different uh, skill levels that exist in that class. So, yeah. you know, we've, we've come a long way. Yeah. We have a ways to go yet. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping to dispel the image of the, the evil... Uh, Gym teacher, <laughs> cruel and heartless, <laughs> the cruel and heartless person. Yeah. Well, I have a follow-up thought to that, and I wanted to ask you how. It, so, you know, it seems to me we often tend to fall on one extreme or the other with things. So, uh, so on the one extreme is that kind of ultra-competitive thing that it almost seems like we're setting out to highlight people's weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And then the other extreme that I think, you know, uh, perhaps a lot of parents are concerned about maybe is there's a tendency now, you know, sort of the everybody gets a trophy for, for maybe even doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And it would seem that that could be kind of an opposite extreme to what it once was. Where do you think we actually are in that overall in kind of the physical education realm? And do you think is there, how do you strike a good balance between those two things with not thinking the competition is, is sort of bad or evil and also mm -hmm. challenging people and being serious about that, but versus the other end of the spectrum that we're trying to, you know, make progress from, which is maybe where we've been historically. Sure. I, I think some of the balance comes from um, being really clear about what your outcomes are for physical education um, and then uh, assessing for those outcomes and holding students accountable for the learning, expecting that this will be a place of learning. Um, and so I think that avoids the, well, everybody gets a trophy or in physical education, we call it happy, busy, good. As long as nobody gets hurt and everybody is a little <laughs> bit active, then we're okay. I, there are very uh, specific, again, developmentally, developmentally appropriate outcomes that can contribute to somebody's uh, arrival at adulthood with a complete set of skills and knowledge and motivation, value of physical activity, that they'll pursue that and that, that will keep them uh, healthy for their lifetime, or at least healthier than they would have been uh, had they not valued physical activity. So I, I think that's where that balance is. Um, certainly, we have gone overboard uh, in competition, in that competitive nature, both, I think, in uh, sports and youth sports, uh, sports in the school setting and outside the school setting. Um, but as a teacher and as a coach, I think 
the emphasis needs to be on how we uh, view competition. We don't view it as a way to be better than somebody else or as a way to validate ourselves and our own self-worth. We view it as a way to challenge ourselves to be the best that we absolutely can be, but we don't abandon the values of placing value on the other person in uh, the middle of the process um, just because of that competitive nature that most, if not all of us, have somewhere buried deep down is yeah. that competitive verse. But being able to treat people, um, especially, I think, in a, in, a, in a godly way, yeah. you know, in the way that God has designed for us to live together. Right. Um, a, a good example. Yeah. I was teaching a major's um, soccer class, and I had a, a good number of uh, soccer team students uh, in the class, and we were playing just, you know, a practice activity game. And in the midst of the game, somebody who was playing, playing the ball fell down. And I, I saw most of the players just, you know, keep going because that's what they were used to doing in the sports context. And I stopped the game. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, okay, just, you know, we know that you have the ball. Just give them a minute to get up. Who, what You know, the soccer police are not going to come and get us if we do that. <laughs> and it's okay to, to uh, you know, have the thought within the competition of th- there is uh, a way that we need to honor each other in, in the competition. Uh, and we can still bring out the best in ourselves uh, while we're doing that. And yeah. if my best is better than your best on a given day, then... That's the way it will be. But if it's the reversed, uh, it doesn't mean that uh, I have less worth as a person right. or that right. I need to defeat you to feel good about who I am as a person. That's, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So would you see that as kind of a successful roadmap for physical education at large, these things that you were talking about? Um, and, you know, I, I'm also wondering, too, we, we were going to talk about the value of physical education programs. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like these things are all interconnected? How do you see that? I do feel like they're interconnected. Um, for a long time in the schools, uh, especially, I think physical education has not been valued as much as the academic subjects. Uh, that's sort of always been a struggle, I think, for physical education teachers. And, you know, some of it's our own fault. Um, but I think the more that uh, folks can see that we're taking an individual approach, that we're um, emphasizing the learning and students achieving the outcomes. And at the end of the day, that's really what contributes to our self-worth is if we can uh, authentically achieve outcomes um, and if we have folks teaching who help students to stay focused on the outcomes and to give them the kind of um, positive, constructive feedback that helps them in the learning process rather than some of the negative feedback that they may have gotten in the past. So how about um, higher ed? Let's move, uh, sort of pull the camera lens back. You've been involved in a couple of different higher ed scenarios. You've been involved in administration as well um, in several of those places. So what changes would you say you've seen in higher ed in general? Um, and as you move toward kind of being semi-retired, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how would you advise those who are in academic leadership moving forward? What have you gleaned from your years of experience there? 
I, th- I, I think certainly there have been a lot of changes in uh, higher ed. I think there's uh, an increased uh, emphasis on uh, assessment-driven programs, assessment-driven instruction, and um, I see that as a good thing, uh, mostly, uh, because it has forced us to sort of prove that students are learning, um, n- that it's not about what we think we're delivering. It's about what they're really getting from the learning experience. And I think that we, as uh, folks in higher ed, have learned from that, that what we thought we were doing to help them learn was really not helping them learn in some cases. And we've had a lot of opportunities, I think, to get better at, at uh, what we're doing to really focus in on the student learning, not the delivery of the curriculum. I know there's been a big change in terms of the accreditation process, um, both at the, at the regional and, and the national level on student learning rather than on what we're uh, delivering. Uh, and with that, you know, the accreditation agencies have raised the bar. Um, in some instances, just my own personal view, uh, that's been a good thing especially in the terms of outcomes and measuring outcomes. Um, in some of the more recent changes, it's becoming increasingly difficult for institutions to uh, meet those standards. Um, but uh, nevertheless, you know, they've raised the bar. Um, I think we have a new generation of students. I suppose every generation says the next one coming up is a new generation right. of students in terms of do. how yeah, yeah how they think and how they uh, behave. Um, I, I've seen an increase in parental involvement. Um, you know, everything from the rightly concerned parent to the tiger shark parent, um, which puts different uh, demands on us as uh, higher ed teachers. Um, I, I I think I've seen a decrease in students' awareness of their responsibility in the learning process. Uh, I know, I guess it's popular to talk about the generation that feels entitled uh, right now, but uh, it definitely has had effect an effect on uh, the teaching learning process uh, in the university. I think um, I think there's fewer assumptions about student behavior in the classroom. You know, uh, certainly use of technology, cell phones, laptops have caused us to have to really rethink uh, expectations that we have and to be more uh, forthright uh, in our expectations. I know um, I, now I start my classes with a, an expectation discussion. What, well, what do you think? asking the students, what do you think are reasonable expectations for your part in the process, for my part in the process? And there will be some that, you know, cross over. Um, I don't remember having those as a student uh, (laughs) or even at the beginning of my teaching career, feeling the need to do that. But uh, and, And I think it's a good thing that there are fewer assumptions because sometimes we don't assume the right thing. And uh, so I, I think the students respect that. Uh, but there certainly are differences. Um, certainly, I'm not um, native to the uh, new technology. <laughs> I'm a digital immigrant <laughs> rather mm-hmm. than a, a digital native. Um, 
and, and that again that has its advantages and disadvantages. I think sometimes um, students are so comfortable with technology and so comfortable with googling things for information um, that they forget that there's not a peer review process and things that are on the internet or available through Google. Um, and so that presents some challenges in terms of what they rely on uh, as a basis for uh, you know their learning and and their future uh, practice as teachers, uh, getting them used to the idea that we need some level of review of information. Um, I think maybe in the past few years that's becoming more apparent in our culture, but uh, still students rely on that a lot more uh, than they than they probably should. Um, I think in higher ed, we've seen across the country an increase in administrative personnel um, and an increase in expectation for, of the services that uh, students will have access to uh, at the university. Um, there's, you know, we've also seen an increase in uh, students who are experiencing anxiety or depression or mental um, illness uh, in some form or another. Um, the good news is that we're more aware of that and more aware of being sensitive to that and making accommodations uh, for that where we might not have been in the past. But it also seems like the, the downside is that there's more uh, of that affecting students. And certainly, you know, in the last year or so with COVID, um, you know, students are experiencing a lot of difficulties um, that we need to provide for um, in the educational setting if they're going to be able to learn. Um, I think there's been a real increase in on online education. I know that's especially been a big... Now. Oh, yeah, yeah, especially now. We've sort of been forced into it, and that's not a bad thing. I've had to learn a lot of new things about um, teaching online, and students have had to learn a lot of new things about uh, receiving their education online. Um, so... You know, again, like most things, that can be a two-edged sword, a double-edged sword. Um, it's more challenging to engage the learners, but we're able to reach more learners, students who may not have been able to come to us uh, before. Um, I live on Long Island. Traffic is a nightmare. So I have students who are very thankful. They don't have to commute yeah. uh, to their classes. So, you know, there are some advantages, but certainly there's some pressure in terms of competition from uh, between universities in terms of online education. Um, and there's also a challenge of evaluating the different online education programs that's a little different than uh, evaluating in-person uh, educational programs. Uh, finances are an issue, and again, especially now over the last nine months for both for universities and for students, uh, finances are a big issue. Um, demographics, at least for those of us in the Northeast, especially, uh, is an issue in terms of uh, the, the number of students that are of college age going down um, right. and increased competition then between schools for getting uh, the enrollment numbers uh, that they need. Um, equity and diversity and, and the role and um, importance of that on campus. Um, has is a big change in in higher ed, and again, it can have uh, you know its downside as well as positive aspects. I think we're much more aware of 
being inclusive and um, meeting the needs of every student and treating students equitably than we ever have been uh, before, uh, but certainly presents lots of challenges, especially for those of in those folks who are in uh, administration. Um, yeah, it, it, even in terms of technology, the challenge uh, versus the opportunity, opportunities to access information and to do things that we've never been able to do before. Um, just, I think, in, the, in my own field of physical education, now we're able to see what's happening in the brain uh, with yeah. learning, and we're able to see what uh, is happening with the body in exercise more than we ever uh could see before, and we're able to uh, process data about uh, those kind of things as well as others in, in ways that we have never been able to before. Um, and again, advantages and disadvantages to that. One of the disadvantages in universities, I think, is the challenge to keep up with the changes in technology, as well as for students. I think we're especially aware now of the disparity um, with the students and the access to resources that they have. Students who are forced to do online but don't have access to a computer or don't have access to the internet and truly don't you know, have access to those things and how do we provide for them? Um, so yeah, all kinds of sweeping changes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it can be possible, especially for people in education to become cynical or get discouraged by things, but Anybody who's been in education know, as long as you have, knows, you know, there are there are these moments that you get, right, where you kind of have a conversation with a student or something happens or some other just kind of connection where it sort of settles in on you as, you know, well, this is actually why I chose to do this in the first place. And so um, you're a humble person, Nancy, you're not one to come out with these things, but I wanted to press you. Is there any something any, anything like that that you could bring up here that we could end this this interview with where you would say you had one of those experiences that said you went home and said you know that's why I'm here I think it's possible to have those experiences most days in the classroom anyway if you look for them um i just the way that students will have the light bulb go on and you can see it in their face. Oh, yeah, they get it. And they see how they can use whatever it is to the benefit of the students and the athletes that they will have. That, to me, is a this is why I'm here moment that I can help to facilitate that happening. Um, I had an email a couple of weeks ago from one of my students way back <laughs> when I was teaching at King's who said, you know, now I'm teaching almost 30 years and, you know, you played a big part in that. I had to work hard in your classes, but I enjoyed it. And, you know, he was thankful. And that, to me, you know, that's why we're doing this, to enable others to have a positive impact on um, the next generation. Um, I think about the uh, verse that we had for our staff members, the theme verse. Uh, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Uh, certainly in uh, a faith context, that's what we need to do. We need to share it with the next generation, even in a secular teaching context, to be able to give the next generation of students a really great experience and help them to learn, to maximize their learning in a way that honors who they are 
um, as a person who has who God has created them to be. Um, I had a moment at my uh, retirement party at at Hofstra. Uh, teaching at a secular university is a challenge in terms of of sharing your faith uh, and you know walking the walk. Uh, but I think one of the things I cherish the most is something that one of my colleagues said to me. Um, she said, and you know, it was totally sort of just off the cuff. You know, she said to me, listen, I, I just wanted you to know, you really taught me what it means to be a Christian, to be a real Christian. And you taught me the meaning of servant leadership. To me, I can die now. <laughs> I can die happy yeah. because that's really, I just want to be what God has intended for me to be. And, uh, you know, teaching at a secular university, sometimes you're not sure how how much you know the message is getting out but i'm just i'm thankful that i have had those kind of opportunities that's great encouragement well thanks for joining us today nancy and thanks for your many years of faithful work and service in a variety of of fields Um, and thanks to you who have been listening do stick around if you want to hear nancy's own karen 10 we'll be back with that in just a minute she's prepped and ready to go We're back with Nancy Holiday. Nancy, are you ready for your Karen 10? Absolutely. Here we go. Who is your favorite professor? Um, Dr. Al Lundy, who was in charge of the music department and of the chorale. I spent four amazing years uh, with the, the touring chorale and uh, loved every minute of it. Now, which book did you read during <laughs> your time that had the greatest impact on you? Yeah, I feel like we're in the, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> I, I honestly couldn't tell you about a book from, you know, over 40 years ago. Um, one book that really had an impact on me was uh, Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Yeah, you just, you just gave an example. Yeah, but I didn't read it in college. Oh, okay, right. Was Ever since the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what spot on campus do you remember the most fondly and why? Well, we didn't have a lot of on campus at 18th and Arch Street, so it would have been the 8th floor student lounge or the snack shop. Mm -hmm. Which class rocked you most at the core? And you get a because on this one, but try to keep it somewhat limited. If I had to pick one, it would have been the Minor Prophets. As we studied through the Minor Prophets, we, we really began to see the passion, uh, the passionate love that God has for us, um, and even for people who were, you know, certainly not following Him, uh, running away from Him, that uh, God's intense, passionate love for us just really came through, and that's made a big difference for me. Who was your first roommate? My first roommate was Bonnie Good. What was your favorite non-academic-related thing to do while you were a student? It's probably a hard choice between corral and sports. Which food in the cafeteria was your go-to? <laughs> we didn't really have a go-to because it was a go-to whatever they served you or... Whatever was brought to you. <laughs> yeah, that's that was pretty much it. But I have fond memories of the homemade bread. And we used to buy it to take home to Thanksgiving. That's how good it was. Great. <laughs> what was your favorite off-campus spot to go with friends? Probably Wanamaker's Department Store. The organ? The organ. Yeah. The Christmas show. Yeah. The big eagle in the middle. And what did you miss most after you graduated? 
What I missed most was the friends that I made and also, uh, be, uh, again, being in Corral. There's not many opportunities out there like that. What's the one thing about Karen that you hope will never change? What I hope will never change is their emphasis on the importance of God's Word, the importance of knowing it, the importance of using it as the basis for the values that you hold in life, the importance of using it for as the basis for how you conduct your life. So I hope that that will never change. Ladies and gentlemen, Nancy Hallidays, Karen 10.